Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Views on View. I am your host, Lindsay Wardell. With me today is Steve Edward. Hello from sunny and warm Portland. Welcome. We also have Raymond Camden joining us on the panel today. Hello from Louisiana. We're still here. Yay. <laughs> and special guest today is, I apologize, Angela Lua. Did I get it right this time? You didn't. Um, it's ah. Angela Lua. <laughs> Lua. Well, you, you can call me Jola. All right. Welcome to the show, Jola. It's nice to be here. Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com slash code. That's audibletrial.com slash code. So Raymond, did you get impacted by the recent storms at all? Just a tiny bit, yes, but uh, I've been very, very lucky, so I will uh, take that luck. <laughs> Good. Good to hear. Awesome. Jola, would you mind introducing yourself and maybe talking a little bit about how you got into programming? Awesome. So, Angelo Luadibayutu, I'm a front-end developer at Revel Finance. Revel Finance is uh, a small startup based out of Lagos, Nigeria, like we're currently building our first product, a platform for people to crowdfund startups and companies. So that's basically what Revo Finance is. Um, I got into programming, I think, when I was, that's like six years, yeah, about, I think about six years ago. First, I first started with, the, there was like this in thing that time when people would create blogs and like we used to call them wapka.mobi blogs people would post different things like it was just looking back now it was having a subdomain under um, someone's domain and post things so I could have like a jola at wapka.mobi so like I started with that I would edit HTML and post things online, even though they were irrelevant, things, things I'm not proud of now. <laughs> but yeah, that was how it started. Then I also, during my journey, I also learned about defacing websites. Yeah, yeah, there was this thing about, I think, SQL injections. So I found out that like those sites were subse- um, like they could be affected by SQL injections because they were built on PHP and I, I think it was PHP 5 back then. So I I learned about SQL injections um, slowly. I began picking up programming concepts. I, funny enough, Python was my first programming language. After learning HTML a little bit, and I learned Python. There was this um, startup, this US-based startup, Andela, they had, like, they were launched in Nigeria and, like, they were getting people to sign up, they would teach people, it's, it was basically like a coding bootcamp, they would teach people to code and then they would hire them out to companies in the US and they're about, so, based on that, I had to learn Python, I learned Python for a bit, then, 
I didn't get in, funny enough, I didn't get in. So after I didn't have a reason to use Python anymore, I went back to learning PHP and then picked up Laravel. Then I work at this e-commerce. Like my growth was pretty fast because I saw someone who wanted me to come work with him, said he was willing to mentor me. And so I, I worked at an e-commerce startup where basically all I was doing was editing um, this PHP e-commerce um, plugin OS class. I don't know if they are still around now because I've been out of sync with the PHP world, but I learned, I learned that and then worked WordPress websites a little bit. I built different, different things from wordpress.com to wordpress.org sites. So that was pretty much how like it started. I interned at the company and then I got my real first gig. And like since then I've been working professionally since then. What made you switch since you started with Laravel and, and WordPress, what made you switch from the more of the back end full stack into the front end? Whilst I was working, I I found out like I was better with building visual systems. Like I preferred working on things that I could see. Like you can see your CSS move, you can see everything on your screen. But the back end, like it was you had to you had to have a fair idea of what you wanted to achieve, like in your head. With front end, you can you can see what you want to do and then have a fair idea of, oh, okay, this is where I want to go or something. But on the back end, I had to I had to think about, then I found out that like, when I was working on full stack applications because of Laravel, I found out I was building better front end apps and with spaghetti code backend. So I just decided, oh, okay, I would stick with the front end and just continue. Using. Makes sense. So leaning into your strength, essentially. Yeah, basically, that was what I did. Yeah. Nice. That's awesome. So part of why you are here today is you wanted to talk about GraphQL. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. So how did you how did you get into GraphQL? When, when did that come around? GraphQL was last year. I think it was mid last year when I was working at a music streaming company based out of Lagos, Nigeria, we, we were building the artist dashboard and like we had to make several API calls and like we just found out the, the like performance of our app was, was terrible and like we had to evaluate things and come to, come to the realization of how to do things better. And then someone pitched GraphQL and like when they pitched GraphQL, we took a look at it and everyone decided, oh, okay, this this thing, it's it's pretty much new and we do not know so many people who are using it. Like so many companies are based out of Lagos, Nigeria, who are using it, but we we can find resources online. And so we we all just dived into it and that was how I began using GraphQL. Were you involved in the back end as well or, or just the front end? I was involved in the front end, just the front end. All right. So in, in this case, you were 
I think that it, that's really the big selling point of GraphQL, that you have all of these different APIs, all these different REST endpoints that you need to call, sometimes one right after the other. And with GraphQL, you can simplify that, right? That's I think yeah. that's the main the main selling point, right? Yeah, the main selling point for GraphQL is the performance benefits, the efficiency of doing things. That's like the main selling point. That's the only reason why I think that's the main reason, right? Rather, why I think GraphQL is better than REST. Actually, hmm. yeah, I can I can definitely agree that REST can be a a little burdensome sometimes. The application we're working on at my job, we we have this this loading component, and all it does is prevent anything inside from loading until you've made four or five different API calls. And we've we've optimized and optimized and optimized, trying to get as much performance out of those five API calls as we can. But no matter what we do, they're always there. We have, we have to make these five calls. So let me ask something, and this is about the back end of GraphQL. You know, usually when when uh, developers are talking about GraphQL and and how it addresses your point, Lindsay, of not having to make five separate calls, how you can do everything in one call. But there's a lot of work that goes in the back end that, you know, it's not just, okay, plug in GraphQL and you're good to go. And I always wondered this until I went and took a class last year from a couple of people who wrote the O'Reilly book on GraphQL. And you basically have to write the queries to return your data, right? It's not just, okay, plug it in, here's my tables, here are my fields, go do it for me. You, you've got to write the, and there's a, there's a term for it, and I don't remember what the... Resolvers. The resolver, thank you. You have to write your resolvers. You know, they don't just create, create it out of thin air. So I would imagine that's a pretty substantial amount of work to do when you're creating a GraphQL server. Once that's done, then you've got the tool, you know, whether it's Apollo or whatever, where you can go in and, you know, and type your query and have it, you know, automatically fill in values. But it seems like there's a lot of work with resolvers because you have to write specific resolvers for the kind of data that you need. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. But like, it also takes away the, the burden of creating several methods and for several endpoints. Uh, right. You, you can just write, like, you have to only do that once. And you can always, um, when you need something additional, you can just, like, impute the field. And that's about it. Like you do not need to do any extra work or create a new endpoint or or anything. Like that makes it even another selling point. Right. No, I understand that. But I guess my point is in that, you know, I've heard more podcasts than I care to count talking about GraphQL or read blog posts. And the constant impression I always have is, oh, just drop it in on the front end and automatically automatic magically, automagically gives you your queries. And my point is, it's not just auto magic. You've got to write some resolvers on the back end. You've got to do some work on the back end. Now, once you get them done, then to your point, you can filter and, you know, get only what you need. But there is a lot of work on that back end and writing those resolvers. Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So I know you said that you were more involved on the front end, but like I too, when I hear about GraphQL, it feels like the the uh, resolver aspect is always glossed over. I'm like, yeah, don't worry to just do that. And now let's talk about the cool front end stuff. But as a person who's done a lot of back end stuff, that kind of scares me. I know like you weren't doing that, but for your coworkers who were doing those resolvers, 
did it seem like an easy job for them or yeah for, for them from what i could see it, it seemed at first they grumbled <laughs> everyone grumbled and were like oh this is new technology this is more work and but eventually when we had to add other things then they found out that like it was the better option because take for instance we had to make requests for an artist's songs so we were making requests we wrote an endpoint oh okay get this artist then get this artist songs then when we had to make when we had to do for statistics most played songs and all of all those things we had to make another request a separate request for that and like they had to keep writing like more http methods to do that so what when we switched to graphql what we just did was oh, when we needed to do this thing we just plug in what we need to do we just plug it in there and like that was it speaking as as a a full stack developer i've in my experimentation with graphql i i feel like writing the resolvers obviously it depends how you do it but i feel like writing the resolvers in many ways just feels like writing standard rest endpoints you're you're defining what's what data is being returned you're doing your methods and you're returning data and from from the server architecture i don't feel like it's altogether that different except that sometimes you're going to have to make additional relations that your code doesn't necessarily make by default so in in at work what i've been doing is for example that we have one object that is the main the main job let's say and then it needs to potentially relate up to data that it is attached to or relate down to data that is part of that job and then the data down might relate to other jobs so that's that's where i feel like the graphql magic happens yeah. where where you're having to stitch things together but besides that it's it's very much like a you would normally write a controller for a rest api yeah it is yes and i realize at this point we're drifting into views on backend but <laughs> i i in my experimentation with graphql we all i also found that there's there's this concept of schema first where you're writing the actual graphql schema and then writing the code in the 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 resolvers the you know the controllers essentially or there's the code first approach where you're writing a controller or not a controller sorry a resolver in code and then when you run the application it automatically generates the schema and doing it that way it felt it feels very much like you're just writing class objects and adding in methods to call other data types and so from that perspective the backend in many ways becomes simpler because you don't have to worry about writing all the http endpoints and worrying about registering your your open api doc with the gateway or any of those kinds of things and for the front end developer bringing it back to view it provides a standard contract that says this is the data that you can get these are the parameters on that that you can you can filter by or sort by and so it, using something like a code first approach i feel like the back end would become easier to maintain and and develop on because you're just manipulating data and then the front end is it makes it much easier to communicate with the back end because you have that simple contract that is always easily defined and 
you can you can just fetch it straight out because you're just grabbing that schema that's being generated by the backend. So with with all of that said, obviously we are a view podcast, not not just a backend podcast. Uh, so Jola, curious, what as as a front end developer, what is the preferred way for you to communicate with a GraphQL endpoint? Do you use um, Apollo or is there another library that you prefer? Yeah, I've only tried out Apollo. I, I hear really is also good, but I've only had to use Apollo and Apollo like takes care of all the needs. Like it's super easy to use and like that's the one thing I I, I like it for. What what's your experience with that? I've I mean I I like to say that I have some experience with GraphQL, but mostly it's experimentation. I, I haven't used too much of Apollo myself. So is um, it like Axios and that it you just make the request and or is there yeah, something more to it? it? It's pretty much like Axios, but the best part about Apollo is the fact that it also, you know, because GraphQL does not follow normal ATP methods and all of that. So um, it's Andrew's errors for you. you like instead of having to make five different requests, then undo errors for five different requests, you can just have one global error handler that, that you show as where you load in whatever components you use to display error to people at a toast something. It's really similar to it's really similar to Axios. Then also it it has an inbuilt caching method, like you can cache your data, like that's even from the article I wrote, it was after I wrote the article, I found out I didn't have to use Vuex for it because I could have used Apollo to catch data and um, mm -hmm. move data around. So so Apollo has a built-in cache and you, you just said you don't need Vuex if you're using it, is that right? You do not You do not necessarily have to use Vuex if you're using it. It also um, does state management. Huh. Okay, that sounds that sounds particularly useful, especially if you're uh, trying to keep the package size down. Then you don't have to yeah. include UX in your bundle. When I first started taking computer science classes in college, I thought programming was just a joke. In fact, I changed my major over to engineering and started doing computer engineering and chip design. Then I found Ruby and I fell in love. I love Ruby. It was my first real programming language where I dove deep and really learned how to make software that makes a difference for other people. Since then, and the way that we got started with devchat.tv, we started a show called Ruby Rogues. It's currently in the 400s of episodes. We've talked to hundreds of people in the Ruby community about the Ruby community, about the Ruby programming language, about Rails, and about what makes good programming. So if you're interested in Ruby Rogues, or you just want to hear a long series of experienced programmers talking about real problems, then go check out rubyrogues.com. So would that still handle the uh, reactivity the way Vuex does as well? I've not used it, but I believe I believe it should because I, I think I saw a talk by Sarah Vieira where she was talking about the fact that you do not need Vuex any longer. But like I didn't pay so much attention to it because at that point Vuex was like the go-to library for me, so I just stopped with Vuex. That sounds interesting. I know uh, with the Vue 3 coming out in the Composition API, there's been a lot of discussion about whether we need Vuex. And this feels like another talking point on that. If you if you can just use the, the library to, to fetch your data to manage your state, why bring in another dependency? That's good to know. So one of the other issues that we have with 
applications is authentication, right? So if we if we're using an endpoint, just a simple REST endpoint, you could use Cookie, you could use JWT. Is that something that can be done in GraphQL as well? Yeah. Yes, you can. You can use JWTs, and I've only with GraphQL, I've only had to work with JWTs, and you can use. But I believe you can use cookies, and you can use JWTs too. Okay, what does that look like? Because with a standard, you know, using Axios as our point of reference, you if you're using a JWT, you just attach it as an authentication header in the HTTP request, and your your server can pick that out and confirm that you are who you say you are and perform the action. Is it something similar in GraphQL? Is it is it as easy as just setting an authentication header? Yeah, it is. So when you install Apollo, all you need to do is set, like Apollo comes with a couple of parameters you need to pass in to make sure like your requests go as expected. So all you need to do is set the header in the... I think it's the Apollo.config, or is it the view Apollo? Um, I think I think it's the Apollo.config file. All you need to do is set the authorization header in there, and when they make the request, like when the request is made, it's made with your JWTs also. Okay, so rather than with like going back to Axios, rather than with an Axios request where you always pass in like an options object where you include the authentication header. It's something that you define beforehand? Yes, it is. Okay, well, that's, that sounds nice. <laughs> <laughs> What's the debugging experience like with that in general? Like I'm, I'm kind of used to making simple REST calls and looking at my network tab and my dev tools. How do things look like with the Apollo library in the middle yeah. there? It's actually better because you, when you plug in Apollo to your to your server, it creates this nice playground for you, a self-documented playground where um, whatever requests you need to make and whatever requests you need to make, whatever endpoints you need to call, whatever queries you need to use is documented and you know what parameters you're passing in and like what to expect. So you, with the GraphQL playground, you can just make your, you can just make your queries there and see what option you get, whatever the JSON response is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but uh, is there anything in the browser itself? Is there any specific? Yeah, the, the, play, the, the playground, the playground is, it's in the browser. You can check the playground in the browser. Then there is also GraphQL Dev Tools. Um, yeah, there's Graph Apollo Dev Tools rather. There's Apollo Dev Tools where you can monitor things. Mm. Yeah, GraphQL. Okay. Yeah, I think I think that's more what I was talking about. Like in your production yeah. app, if, if you want to see how things are going. So, is is the Apollo Dev Tools thing like a Dev Tools extension? Yes, it's a Chrome. It's a Chrome extension that can be installed. And I think they also have the Fire, a Firefox extension. I'm, I'm not so sure about that, but I think so. Can I go look that up real quick? That sounds particularly useful. Cool. I had a question, I forgot. DevTools confused me. Uh, when, I was, when I was about a year, uh, 10 months ago, I was taking a workshop 
on GraphQL's two-day workshop up in Seattle at a JavaScript conference. And the, uh, the people teaching the workshop were more familiar with React. And so that was how they tend to focus their examples when it comes to writing front end. But we had a little time to work. So it took me about a half hour and I spun up a new view project, you know, installed Apollo and was getting data and displaying it from there an API that they had made available for the class within about a half an hour. So, you know, between the, the existing libraries and, and some documentation on the view side itself, it was really pretty easy to, to get something up and running and querying data. Are there any, any gotchas of any sort that you found while you were switching from using just REST endpoints to GraphQL? Is there any, any issues that your team ran into? Yeah, we ran into issues with subscriptions, I, I think it's part of the steep learning curve of, of GraphQL, like subscriptions are not, I don't know, but we had to deal with uploading, uploading songs and uploading images and like implementing. I, I eventually had to give it to a more experienced person on my team, but implementing uploads and using subscriptions in GraphQL was, it was a very tedious process for us. And then one thing, a friend, a friend told me, a friend that works at, I've not had any reason, but a friend told me that when you, you can also run into problems when you have to write complex queries and like it gives performance issues. He, he works at plural site, so I believe in bigger apps like that, they might have like reasons for that, but I've not had any reason not to. Were you finding any times when it was easier to just use a REST endpoint as opposed to GraphQL, or were you able to transition completely to GraphQL as well? At, at the beginning, it was, I think one of the things, one of the cons of using GraphQL is the steep learning curve at first, it was it was very it was very hard. <laughs> it was hard using it, and um, I had to consult Google every now and then to to make sure I was doing the right thing and how to even till now. If I would do something, I would still probably have to Google search every everything to make sure like I'm doing um, the things right. But once you get the hang of how it's supposed to go, then it becomes fairly easy. To, to, to work with. That's good to hear. Are there any tips that you would give to somebody who is getting into GraphQL and they wanted to learn? Because as, as you've noted, it is a steep learning curve and I agree with that. Is there, any, is there any good learning path that you would recommend for somebody to pick up and start using GraphQL? I, I believe how to GraphQL is like one great resource, even though they hardly have, they hardly have tutorials on using it with Vue, but how to GraphQL is a, is a good, like, it was the one that helped me. And then many of their, many of their tutorials, like, included the backend side of things. So um, understanding the backend side of things definitely made things easier for me because, like, I had an idea of what the, what the schemas were like on the backend, how the resolvers worked, and like those things helped me understand how I was supposed to make the request, what I was supposed to be doing that I was doing wrong and what to 
search for. So I, I, I believe understanding it from, you know, we front-end developers more often than not try to stick with just learning the front-end part of things. So I believe understanding it from a back-end perspective would help anyone who is getting into it. Was there anything that helped you from the view side? Like, was there a good view plus GraphQL site, book, et cetera? There, there was, I, I had to ask Marichu, there was hardly any, anything on view, but like the GitHub issue for view Apollo, view Apollo, I saw several GitHub issues, then I had to follow, like I, I saw that a, a number of people fell into the same pitfalls as me. So I had to follow like the recommended ways to resolve them. And like it was basically the GitHub issues and Google searching how to do it. Funny enough, I have like experience using React. So and how to GraphQL pretty much only covers the React part of things. So I would look at the implementation in React, then figure out oh, how can this be done in view. Yeah, I think that's one of the the challenging parts of getting into GraphQL from the view side is so much of it is written for React since Facebook was the company where GraphQL started. There was a, a library that I was experimenting with. I think it was called GQless, GQless. And it was this really cool idea for a, a front-end API where you just type in the object and you don't have to write the, the query or the mutation at all. It'll take care of all of that for you based on the object that you put in. But it, first off, it's, it's an alpha, so don't use it for production. But uh, it, it's primarily geared toward React. There wasn't a, an easy way to integrate it with Vue at all. So uh, that's something that I ran into as I was exploring yeah, different GraphQL. It was one of the reasons why I decided to write that article because like I figured, oh, since I was running into this issue, I believe there are people out there too who would probably run into this issue, like just to ease the, the process for anyone who would be doing the same thing. That was like the main reason. Then it's also a reference point for me, like when I need to do the same thing another time. Nice. So thank you, Jola, so much. Do you have any any final thoughts? We've got somebody listening and they're they're thinking about taking the plunge into GraphQL. Do you have anything you would say to them? I think GraphQL is awesome, but I also think it's it depends on what your specific use case is. We've seen like libraries like Wixom and Noxt use a GraphQL data layer to get things done. So like it depends on your specific use case, like it's not the one size fits all you you pretty much be better off using REST for many things except you performance is is critical and you need to make so many API recall uh, API calls. So like I think that's like the only time you pretty much need it. Um, there was this time on Twitter when everyone was shouting GraphQL um, GraphQL, 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 as if like it's the best thing since sliced bread. So, <laughs> so like anyone, people should not be pressured to to use it unless they specifically like need it or they're running into issues. Like you mentioned, how you were running into issues at work with um, several APIs. Awesome. Yeah, I 
don't remember if it was last week or the week before, but our, our former panelist, Austin Gill, was making a, a similar comment on on Twitter about GraphQL, how there's a lot of side projects that he's worked on where it was a lot easier to not use GraphQL just because he was experimenting. It was a side project. It didn't have those performance restrictions that GraphQL is designed for, for solving. So yeah, that makes sense. But it is definitely an awesome tool from my perspective for those times when you do need that level of performance or you do want to reduce the number of API calls. Yeah, it is. Great. Thank you so much for joining us today, Jola. It's been a pleasure talking to you about this. Uh, I'm, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> it was great to meet you. Yeah, it was too. Awesome. Hey, folks, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just launched my book, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there, The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So at this point, we will move into picks. Picks are the part of the show where we share something that we like with the community. It doesn't have to be programming-related. So, Steve, would you like to go first with your pick? Sure. I'm going to go down the musical route and talk about a band that I've mentioned before. They're uh, sort of a southern rock band out of South Carolina called Need to Breathe. And they have a brand spanking new album out, or CD, or collection, or whatever you call it these days. A group of songs <laughs> called uh, Out of Body. Just come out, finally, fully came out within the past couple of weeks, I believe, judging by the emails I've seen. But yeah, I've listened uh, all the way through to it. I really, really, really like it. Some, you know, as with most albums, some songs more than others. But they got one called Hang On that I really like. But uh, yeah, I give it a listen. Out of Body by Need to Breathe. And Need to Breathe is all one word, no spaces between. So thank you. Raymond, do you have a pick for us today? Yeah, Wasteland 3 just came out on PC and Xbox and... I remember playing Wasteland 1 when I was about 10 years old back in the 80s. So uh, it's fun to be playing a trilogy. It's been like, I guess, 30 years plus in the making. And it's it's quite enjoyable. Nice. Thank you. Uh, Jola, do you have a pick that you would like to share? Yes, I do. Yes, this Afrobeats artist that released an album, I think, two weeks back, um, Bonaboy. So if like Afrobeats is something you want to look into. Yeah. Then um, another thing I would like to share is because of my love of football, I would like to share um, Barcelona versus Bayern Munich, the is this semifinals or quarterfinals of the Champions League. For us Americans, a, that's soccer. <laughs> to translate. <laughs> do do you have a favorite for the game? Yeah. It was Bayern Munich. I I do not like Barcelona that much since the time they beat my club. <laughs> I support I support Manchester United by the way. So since the time they beat my club, I, I do not like Bayern, um, Barcelona that much. So yeah, I supported Bayern Munich all through, and they came through for for us. Nice. Well, thank you. I have a pick today, and it is a two-minute video and put it in the in the notes it's on it's a video on twitter of 168 aws services sung in two minutes so the guy is playing a key electric keyboard a piano 
and singing the names of all 168 AWS services. Ooh, and it was wow. just a lot of fun. So, wow. <laughs> um, That's... What kind of music? Is it like hip hop? Is it rap? Is it country? Is it classical? It, it is. Do you know Tom Lehrer? Vaguely know the name. I can't say I would recognize his music. Do you know the the piano song of the elements where he goes through all the elements in uh, the periodic table? Oh, okay, I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. It's it's that style. It's it's not exactly that tune, but it's that style where he's just playing the piano and he's having a good time. One of the lines was like, or you could use simple DB, but don't. Or uh, at, at a key change, he was like, this key change brought to you by whatever service it was. It was great. So highly recommend that. Jola, how can people reach out to you if they want to continue this conversation and talk to you more about GraphQL or anything um, else? You can reach out to me on Twitter. I'm almost always on Twitter when I'm not working. Twitter is a way for me to to uh, have fun. <laughs> so at Jola underscore Adibayo, J-O-L-A underscore A-D-E-B-A-Y-O-R. Yeah. Awesome. We'll have that in the show notes as well. So yeah, once again, thank you for uh, for joining us. This has been great. Yeah. It was nice meeting you awesome people. <laughs> well, thank you hope everyone listening enjoyed this episode as well you can find more and listen to other episodes at viewsonview.com or at devchat.tv you can also reach out to us on twitter at viewsonview you can find me on twitter at yagabush you can find steve on twitter at wonder 95 and you can find raymond at raymond camden had to look it up i apologize <laughs> hope you uh, all enjoyed this episode we'll see you again next week adios Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.